Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. being we are free in God because God has set us free through Christ. Amen. Amen. And I don't care if you are in jail or in your, you're in North Korea. If you have Christ, you're free. Amen. And that's, you know, that's, that's something that parallels where we can see a physical example and a physical representation of just how free we are in God. Nobody can tell you what you're supposed to do and not do. God even himself is not holding a standard of performance-based righteousness against you, saying, if you do this, then you're accepted. He says, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to give you everything I have in Christ. Just say yes to him. Believe on his death, burial, and resurrection and what he did. Just be willing to acknowledge in your heart that what he did was for you and receive him, become born again. You're free. Boom. You are free. Live your life. Right? And then he says, by the way, I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm going to put my spirit within you. I'm going to give you a new heart that has all of my commandments and wisdom already engrafted within it so that it, it agrees with the direction that I'm going to give you. And then he continually breathes wisdom and life an affirmation of your sonship in Christ within you and leads and guides you into all truth. And it just sounds so easy, right? Except we got this little gray matter up here that disagrees with the freedom that we have in God, and we just complicate it, you know? Especially when we read the Bible. You ever read the Bible and felt, oh, man, I don't understand. I don't get it. You know, I, I yeah, one person was honest. Thank you. <laughs> That, that was my experience when I first started reading, you know. Uh, we weren't overly churched growing up. You know, I, I didn't. That was, did I say that right? <laughs> Mom's here, so. It's getting better. It's getting better, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting. But it certainly wasn't, you know, I, read, I never read the Bible until I was, you know, almost 20 maybe, yeah, and uh, so, and I remember, I just didn't know anything about anything regarding God, you know, and, and I'm not throwing my mother under the bus, you know, she did amazing, she's, she's an amazing person, but it just wasn't my path, right, that I chose back then, so I remember that when I decided that, okay, I should, you know, God's real, I've accepted Christ. I should probably read the Bible. And I got a Bible and started reading. Like every book, you start at the beginning, right? And I got about halfway through, not even halfway through Genesis, maybe like chapter 5. And Abraham's like giving his wife away and lying to God. And, and I'm thinking, you know, my perspective was, okay, this is the Bible. Everyone in here is perfect and holy, and this is what you do. You, you know, I mean, that's, that's what we think sometimes, especially, but that's what people think about the Bible that don't know what's in there. That's what they think about God if they don't know God, right? And then you see Abraham, and if you're not familiar, God called him out of worshiping idols. His father was a priest in the house of Nimrod, 
So his father was like a high priest worshiping Nimrod back then, the guy that built the Tower of Babel, you know? And that's, that's Abraham's heritage. God calls him out of that and says, through you I will bless the entire world. Wow. Now just so you know, you're a child of Abraham because you've said yes to Christ by faith. Amen? So, but, so Abraham, here's the guy that God picks and says, I'm going to save the world through your seed, referring to Christ. Save those who will believe, let's say. And Abraham goes off and gives his wife away to sleep with the king. That just doesn't sound too smart, does it? I mean, I'm not trying to throw Abraham under the bus. I'm trying to give you hope. God hung... You know what I'm saying? There's hope for you. The guy that God says, through him, I will manifest myself into the earth. And he, and he does that twice. <laughs> Abraham, go down here to this land down here. Don't bring any of your family with you. Abraham shows up 10 years late <laughs> with his family. <laughs> God's like, okay. That's <laughs> all right. We'll just keep on moving. Keep moving forward, you know. Over and over and over. David, you, you realize murderers wrote two-thirds of the Bible. <laughs> murderers. Moses, murdered. Wrote the first five books. David, wrote a huge chunk. Murderer. Paul, murdering Christians. You know what I'm saying? It's not about your performance. It's about your heart toward God. It's about whether or not you've got Christ within you. And so everything that we read, we have to understand Christ in me is my only hope. Christ in me is what gives me right standing before the Father. And to the degree that I can allow Christ to continue to shape and mold me outwardly to match what he's already done inwardly, I will experience life and peace on this planet, no matter what the circumstances I'm facing. Amen? And so, you know, we kind of have to keep that filter in mind of just how sufficient the sacrifice of Christ is, especially when we read the Bible, especially when we read the words of Jesus. Because, you know... One of the reasons this church, we have several reasons for existing. We ultimately just want to change the way people see God, that he's good, that he's kind. Amen? Get the focus back on Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation of the invisible God. Jesus told those guys, he said, look, no one has ever seen God. What do you think Moses would have said if he'd been standing there? Think about it for a minute. No one has ever seen God, but if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, he says. Everything points to Jesus. Jesus is the clearest expression of who God is. Everything about God must be understood in the context of Christ. Amen? 
And so we're just going through this process of kind of retweaking some of our thoughts and beliefs and how we read Scripture and, you know, are we placing systems on top of Christ? Are we, what is it that we're doing? So today I want to look at the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. If you want to, if you want to get ready, you can turn to Matthew 5, Deuteronomy 28. We're going to look at these two verses and kind of and compare them, so to speak. But, you know, Jesus showed up, and what he was doing was declaring the good news. He was announcing the arrival of his kingdom. He said it. He went into the wilderness, you know. So Jesus, in rabbinical law, you couldn't be a rabbi going around and teaching until you were 30. You weren't a man until you were 30. Uh, and so he, you know, I'm going to read here where he says he fulfilled every aspect of the law, including the requirements for the roles that he functioned in, in his earthly form, right? So he's 30. He gets called, he gets baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. He goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He fasts. He has an encounter with Satan who manifests himself and basically offers Jesus a shortcut. If, he says, if you are the son of God, then you'll do this. That's the way the enemy always comes at you. He comes at you to question your identity. If you really are a Christian, your life will look like this. You ever had that? You ever felt, gosh, am I really a Christian if I did that? Am I saved if I'm doing that? That's the voice of the enemy. That's questioning the sufficiency of Christ. Amen? I almost kind of want to just let that sit for a minute because that's, that's something that people get beat up by. But he questions his identity. If you really are the Son of God, then you'll do an act to prove it. And Jesus says, no, it's about the Word. It's about what God has spoken. I'm going to stick to the truth. I'm going to stick to God's spoken and revealed Word, who he has said himself to be, who he says that I am, and I'm going to let that play out. I'm not going to jump into performance mode and try and prove based on my performance, even Jesus. And so then he comes back, and the first thing, and it's pretty consistent when you look at, you know, chronologically what Jesus did when he came back out of the wilderness, is one of the first things that he said con consistently was, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? Now, the word repent means to change your mind. It has a, another kind of lower part of the definition that does say turn from sin. Repentance, though, has more to do with changing your mind than anything. Yes, it means turn from sin. Of course it means that. But when you look at how does transformation happen, it's all about you renew your mind for transformation. You know, you start to tie these things together and you realize what Jesus was saying. He's like, look, you guys are going to have to change the way you think because my kingdom is here now. And so he goes through and he does this master class on how to think about God's teachings. And if you are, it's almost like how do you explain something that's obvious? You know what I mean? You're like, when you look at perspectives and you, you start talking about some of the teachings of Christ and you start teaching, even just, you know, you've heard the old analogy, right? It's like, there's a canopy and there's a hole like this big, you know, hundreds of holes in this canopy, but there's an elephant just on the other side of the canopy. Nobody's ever seen an ele elephant of the curtain. And they say, all right, go up there, look through that hole, tell me what an elephant looks like. They walk up and they say, well, it looks like a skinny little tail. 
Well, it looks like a gigantic round foot. Well, it looks like a snake, you know. And then you pull the curtain down and you see the whole thing. To see the whole thing of God, you've got to understand him through Christ. And this is what we're going to do. But it's like, how do you get people to shift perspectives where we let go of preconceptions, we let go of what we think we know, and I'm not trying to get you to throw out everything that you know, I just want us to interpret God through Christ. It's pretty simple what we're trying to do. So the last couple of weeks, we kind of set this foundation of the teachings of Jesus, and a couple of things he asked. He asked, you know, when the lawyers would come at him and try and test what he knew about God. (laughs) Not a very smart move on their behalf. He'd say, all right, let me ask you this. What does the scripture say, and how do you read it? Very, very interesting question, a brilliant question, because he's going after the heart. And that's what Jesus does when he teaches. Even when he teaches the law, he's taking it to a heart level. He's getting in there to see, what is it that you really believe about this? Because I need to retool it and how you think about this and how it applies to you and then reveal that it's pointing to me. And then he says that later on. And, you know, I don't have the references right in front of me, but we could go back. Go back and look. Actually, let me just give it to you, just so you know. So it's on the recording and everything. Uh, It's in um, Luke 10 and John 5. John 5, he says, you search the scriptures. He's talking to the ones that are coming at him and trying to test him, see how much he knows about God, if he's really preaching the truth or not. He says, look, you guys are searching the scriptures, but what you miss is that they point to me. You think in those verses you have eternal life, but it's in me that you have eternal life. Come to me. Learn of me. Walk with me. My yoke is easy. My set of teaching, my way of following God is easy and light is what he really brings it all down to when you follow everything through in John, what he's talking about. So let's go over here, and we'll start in Matthew 4. And I've got a lot of scripture to read. You guys ready? We packed a lunch for everybody, so we're going to be passing those around here in a minute. I'm kidding. It's only 11. We're good. Matthew 4, 17. I'm reading out of the NIV just because it reads easy on, on these verses, but you can read it out of whatever verse uh, uh, translation. So Matthew 4, 17, and I'm going to pick out some highlighting statements, but I encourage you to go back this week and read through you know, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 4, 5, and 6, and, and look at look at it in context of how we're going to look at it today. Now, to me, I've always seen this, but the way it just it kind of became more clear to me this week, and, and I pray that it makes sense to you, you know, and I, I want to offer this to you and think about it. And It's not revolutionary. It just might change your perspective a little bit. So Matthew 4, 17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, the kingdom of the heaven has come near. Near means at hand, and when you look up the root words of what he's talking about, the kingdom has been joined to this dimension, is what he's talking about. The kingdom is available. It's legal to pray a prayer, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven now that Jesus is here, okay? So jump to 23, and this is right before the Sermon on the Mount, right before he goes through the Beatitudes and everything. And it describes the group of people that are there listening to him before he speaks all these things about blessing and all of this, right? So 423, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues. 
proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Now, that's mostly what Jesus would preach, the good news of the kingdom. So when you read something, you got to think, okay, how is this announcing the good news of the kingdom? How does this relate to the kingdom? How does this relate to what he accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection? How is this good news, right? Because that's what he's preaching. And just so you know, they were waiting for the Messiah, they meaning the Israelites, to show up. They were waiting for the Messiah to come and deliver them from slavery, essentially, and establish them as God's people on the planet. But see, Jesus kind of turned it a little bit, and he said, look, you know, my kingdom doesn't come with outward observation. My kingdom is not by force. My kingdom is within. Ultimately, he's saying it's in your mouth. It's in your heart. You speak. You engage the kingdom inwardly so that it will grow into your life outwardly. And then Mark 4, he goes through this master teaching of the condition of your heart will determine the degree of the kingdom that you're going to let grow into this life. Not if you're a good or bad person, but the degree to which the Word of God you allow to become rooted deep within you. And I just pray that you read the Word of God through the filter of Christ. So he's going about preaching the good news. Part of the good news was God promised. And he said it, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, um, Isaiah, all three prophesied the same thing. Said, there is coming a time, there will be a new covenant established, and there's different promises kind of they speak about in different areas. You get a new heart. But one of the biggest things is God is no longer holding your sin against you. All three of them said that. That you will be, uh, that blessing is apart from your works. So they were looking for the time when they were done with the sacrificial system. They were done with constantly being reminded through judgment of the sin that was being held against them by God. This is what they were waiting for. Does that mean it's okay to continue in sin now? No. Just so you know, just so you don't lose me here. Are, are everybody good? All right. So he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Notice it doesn't say, but he's going to let that one have cancer for a little while because the only way you're going to learn what you need to learn is have some cancer. You know, there's, I've got 18 sermons in my mind. I'm going to try and stick to this one right here right now. So verse 24, news about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him who were uh, ill with various diseases. Now keep in mind, remember, the, who, the list that he's about to describe here are the people that he's about to teach to when he continues into Matthew 5, right? So, in that culture, if you were ill with a disease, you were outcast. You were forgotten about. They, in fact, they would yell, unclean, if you were sick in that community. You know, let's say Donald's got leprosy or a disease or something. Unclean, you know. Here comes Donald. Stay away from Donald. He's sick. Now, there were laws for that to protect them, but that was how they were treated if disease came in. These are the people, the outcasts, were brought to Jesus in this moment. Uh, those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. Well, that sounds like a rowdy bunch right there, doesn't it? 
I mean, I think I've been to some of those parties before, you know, but. <laughs> and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, uh, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now, when you read the Bible and it goes from one chapter to the next, keep reading as if it's a letter, okay? Don't stop and say, okay, done. Now let's go on to the next chapter. All those ideas are detached and closed, and now it's, you know what I mean? It's all together. So these are the people that are in front of him, the sick, the demon. Can you imagine what the crowd sounded like? You know? It's like the Brian Regan joke, you know. He says he went and taken to the, to the hospital, and he's over there moaning in pain. And the guy next to him is moaning. And he's like, man, I'm not going to get any intention with that guy moaning. I need to moan louder. You know, and he's like, I gotta, help me. This crowd is sick, in pain, demon-possessed, messed up. They probably don't know how to behave with a group of people, you know. This is a crazy crowd. And this is who he speaks to, and he says this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. Keep in mind, the 12 disciples hadn't been chosen yet. Who's he talking about? He's just talking about people that are following him. All right? Now, you could say it's the couple that he's picked, but a disciple was not just one of the 12. It were the people that were following him. Verse 2, and he began to teach them. These people, remember who he's speaking to. Um, now, let me, let me read this. Verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are, the, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And he continues on. Now, look at that, verse 12, after he says all these things, because great is your reward in heaven. He's promising heaven to a bunch of demon-possessed, sick, outcast people. Unless you think that promise is only for those who are persecuted. I'm going to pause and let you think for a minute. What I'm getting at here is we typically take the nine blessings and we say, okay, well, this is how you get, this, this is how the brokenhearted gets blessed. This is how the comforted. And so the emphasis is on whether you are poor of spirit or if you're mourning. I mean, if you get blessed from mourning, then let's just all mourn all day. I mean, some people kind of do that, you know, but are you following me? This is a collective blessing that he's speaking here. Yes, he is individualizing where, think of who he's speaking to. They are brokenhearted. They are meek. They are mourning. This is a collective thing that he's communicating to these people. You probably fit every single one of these issues here. 
you're blessed. Heaven is yours. What? Now, just so to shed some light, we're going to keep going here. I know it's not like, you're like, okay, yeah. So let's look at Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. Now watch this. This is, this, you know, this is the chapter where God declares who is blessed through Abraham. So, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come on and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Pretty clear, right? Then he goes through here. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young and your livestock and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading through will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that, your, that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from every direction, but flee from you in seven or from one and flee from seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns, on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land that he's giving you. The Lord will establish you as his people and promise you an oath if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to him. Would you be blessed under that? If you say yes, we need to talk. <laughs> you would not qualify for blessing under that because you have not carefully followed every command. Are you seeing what's happening? He's declaring there's this blessing for you. This is how you get it. Jesus, speaking to a group of people, declares this blessing. He says the way you get it is if you're brokenhearted because he's declaring the good news of the kingdom to someone who is brokenhearted. And what Jesus says, if you're brokenhearted, because my kingdom is at hand, you will be blessed. Yours is heaven. This is who he announces his kingdom to from the beginning, the outcasts, the unimportant people, the people who have not obeyed the law, the people who are not in the synagogues teaching the law. Some of them were probably out there in the crowd. Are you following what I'm saying here? He resets the context of blessing. Now, I know the questions, and watch how Jesus answers. I mean, Jesus is brilliant. Watch what he does next. He comes down, and he addresses what they must have been thinking and what probably some of you are thinking. Verse 17, Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have, come, I have not come to abolish, but fulfill them. You see what he did there? Because they got to be sitting there thinking, well, wait a minute. We're blessed when we keep the law. You're telling us all these people are blessed? See, now you got to realize a blessing from a rabbi, which they recognized Jesus as, was something that was from God. The only people that were blessed were the highly favored, those who kept the law, those whose righteousness exceeded, you know. You understand what I'm saying? The people that did it perfectly were the ones that inherited the blessing. This was 
under the law. So they got to be thinking, wait a minute, Jesus. How in the world can you declare blessing on a demon-possessed person? How in the world can you look at someone with leprosy that we attribute a cursing of God on this person for breaking of the law? How in the world can you declare the highly favored position of blessing on this person? And they're like, where's the law come into this? He says, well, I don't think I've come to establish the law. I have not come to, or I don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then he gives credit to the law. He says, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass, it's like he's giving validity to the law because they're sitting there thinking, and Jesus knew what they were thinking, why else would he preach it? He's declaring the truth and recontextualizing blessing under God. And he says, and the law in and of itself. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth, he's just validating, I'm not abolishing the law, guys. I'm not throwing the law out. We're not saying the law is bad. We're not, in other, and later on, he taught his disciples to teach, the law is perfect. The law is holy. The law is God's standard. But keep in mind, it is not for your righteousness. It is a temporary schoolmaster to point you to Jesus. Once you receive Christ, then his commandments are written on your heart and you live under the influence of his spirit inwardly. That is how you follow God into blessing. You live in a perpetual state of blessing in the kingdom of God when you're in Christ. Now follow him. Amen? Amen. Under the old, carefully obey every command. Well, what about David? David lived under the law. Did he carefully obey every command? I'll let you chase that rabbit trail in your mind for a minute. But I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, Matthew 5, 18, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. He repeats the same idea two different ways in verses 17 and 18. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And he says, the law will not pass away until everything is accomplished. Let me ask you this. How do you think the law is accomplished? Are you thinking? Could you hear them? Essentially, it's in Christ. There's no other way. There is no other way. Are you, are you getting it? See, here's the thing. You can read black and white letters, in some cases red and white letters, and think, okay, but it says this. It's like, okay, well, what, what is it, what is it, what's accomplished as a result of what he's teaching, right? Well, but it, you know, it like, it's like Jesus. Some people read it, and they're searching it, and then it's like, you think you've got life in the Scripture, but it's pointing to me. How does this point to Jesus? So I've got a quote here. This is from a, a, a theologian, a guy named Stanley Hauerwas. He wrote like 40 books, and this comes from a commentary on Matthew, and he's specifically addressing the nine blessings right there in Matthew 5, the Beatitudes in this particular setting. And listen, listen for a minute. Too often, these characteristics of the blessings have in Christian history been turned into ideals or virtues that we must strive to attain. 
as if you strive to be of broken heart or strive to be persecuted, right? When we do that, we turn them into formulas that help us gain status and favor with God, which is, of course, the opposite of what Jesus is trying to say. Rather, they are a description of the kinds of people, in fact, Jesus brought the kingdom of God to. Nowhere does Jesus tell us that we should try to be poor in spirit or mourn all of the time to try to get or try to get yourself persecuted. He simply announces the great surprise that these people who are not significant or honored in their society are precisely the ones who have received the honor to be first among those called into God's kingdom. Matthew 5, 17 again. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, nor the smallest letter, nor the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Then he goes on to give further validity to the law, and, and sh he shows the people that are listening his regard for it, right? But see, if you, if you miss what he's doing here, you'll take this as a teaching that he's imposing upon you rather than him validating how he sees the law, right? Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. He's like, you heard me how I'm saying the law. This is what I think about the law, guys, right? I know you're questioning because I just pronounced blessing on demon-possessed people. The lawyers in the crowd are probably thinking, but are you saying that sin is okay? Are you saying this? And he's, So he's validating. No, this is what I understand about the law, guys. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, okay, I've pronounced blessing on demon-possessed people, brokenhearted, sick. But I'm not saying we're getting rid of the law. Here's what I think about the law. And then he's about to say, matter of fact, let me really tell you what the law says, what he's about to go through in the rest of verse 5. Now, think about this for a minute. Verse 20, does verse 20 apply to you? Put it up there if you would, please, Matthew 5, 20. Read that. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Does that apply to you? How? What if you're not more righteous than the Pharisees? Think about this. What if you are not more righteous than the Pharisees? Think about the person that is the squeaky, just clean person you know. Am, am I, you know... Let's think about this for a minute. Would Jesus, if he stood in front of you, say, unless you're more righteous than this guy over here, you can't get in? Well, I ain't getting in. Are you? 
Does this teaching apply to you? Why? How in the world can I say something Jesus said doesn't apply to you? That's blasphemous. But it says it, black and white, right there. You're telling me Jesus' teachings don't matter? Are you following me? Because this is what people will do when you talk this way. Well, but it says right here. Okay, I see that. Let's keep it in context. Let's read the whole thing. Let's filter it through what Christ will accomplish. And let's actually understand what he's saying. He's saying to these people that, he, that are questioning how he could bless these people that do not qualify for blessing. He doesn't even associate blessing with commandment keeping at all in this context. And the lawyers are sitting there, and he speaks to their mindset, and he says, I am not throwing out the law. Here's what I think about the law. The law demands this. But remember, he just said, I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. If it's fulfilled, it's done. So does that mean we throw the law out? No. Okay, let's throw them all out but the Ten Commandments. Okay, we don't go to church on Saturday, so let's just kind of erase that one off because you know the Sabbath was actually on Saturday. Keep the Sabbath. You're in church on the wrong day. You realize that? You're breaking the law. The Seventh-day Adventists got it right. They're down there going to church on the right day. What are we doing? We don't get to go to heaven. We broke the law. You see where it goes, right? Are you saying that we shouldn't keep the Ten Commandments? Well, no. I'm saying, is a commandment now to you a law or is it wisdom? God's wisdom, his character, his word never fails. It will never be obsolete. But the application to you, the context in which it's applied to you, changes. That old system of law being attributed to you based on your sin or your behaviors, that system is gone. It's obsolete, Paul calls it. Does that mean you, you can now sin as much as you want? Why would you want to? I don't know why people think that when they hear this. It's, it's bizarre. It reveals carnal thinking versus spiritual thinking to me. Do you see the difference between when Jesus pronounces blessing over a people group and Moses pronounces people over a blessing group? I mean, blessing over a group? Whatever I meant to say. <laughs> think about this. Moses... If you keep the law, I mean, not, yeah, well, this is Abraham, but if you keep the law, then blessing. Jesus is like, hey, blessing. <laughs> Why? Because my kingdom's here. I mean, I hope this really settles some things within your heart. See, most of you believe this stuff but it's communicating it to your friends and family where it gets confusing sometimes because you're trying to explain why the law is not applied to you right now, and they think that you're saying, I worship the devil. 
If you haven't had those conversations, you should be having these conversations, you know, where you're helping people break free from the standard of performance that they have themselves under toward God. I mean, we are, we are freedom bringers. We are people called by God to bring the gospel to people and pronounce this blessing and tell people, 2 Corinthians 5, we are ambassadors of Christ to go into the world and tell people God is not holding your sin against you. Be reconciled to God. Man, you say that to someone, especially somebody that's got a particular set of theology that they're reading everything through, and, and I don't want to name names. I'm really going to try to stop doing that. It's not productive. Sometimes I might slip. Just forgive me, okay? But the thing is, is you pronounce this to some people, and it's like, what happened with the law? I mean, I'm pretty passionate about it. <laughs> you know why? Because of the, when I sit in my counselor's counseling office and I give people the simple gospel and they look at me and they say, why did no one ever tell me this? I've been living my entire life afraid I was going to hell because I thought that I'd sin too much. I'm afraid that God is disappointed in me and this sickness is God's curse for my behaviors because I had an abortion when I was 15. People believe this stuff. People believe that the calamity and the destruction and the death and the difficulties in their life, God is putting them in there because of a bad choice they made that they have ridiculous guilt for when they were young or yesterday. People believe they live this way. People live this way with guilt and condemnation hovering and weighing down upon them because they don't know that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law on their behalf and it is not being held against them and they can be reconciled to him through him and set free from sin. You need to tell them that. I knew this is a two-part message, so I'm going to pick up next week and go through the rest of Matthew 5, because he says, it's like, you know, he's pronouncing this, this that just drives the religious of the day nuts, because he addresses it, and he says, I'm not saying we're throwing the law out. This is what I think about the law. It is the highest standard. I've come to fulfill the law, and in fact, if you want to live according to the law, you better be more righteous than these Pharisees over here. But let me tell you what the law actually says. You think you know what it says? You, you guys over here, you Pharisees over here, you think you know what it says? You think you've got the law worked out where you can apply it to people and, and teach people what they're supposed to do and not do and you're the standard? Let me tell you what it really says. And over and over and over through the rest of Matthew 5 and 6, he goes through and he says, you've heard it said this, but I say this. He says, you've heard it. Let me, let's just read a couple of them. Y'all, y'all all right? You want to give me just another minute? We'll dig back into this next week. Matthew 5, I'm just going to look at it. Just so, just so to kind of wrap it up here. He's showing the standard of the law. Remember, 
before you go and you read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, you're not reading it from the mindset that what Jesus taught here isn't valid. You're not teaching it from the, or looking at it from the perspective of, well, this doesn't matter. You know, that was old. I'm under the new. You're not really looking at it from that perspective. You're reading it incredibly thankful that that standard is not held to you. You're looking at it and saying, he's, he's telling you the degree to which he has accomplished law for you. And he's showing the validity of it. And he's actually pointing to the Pharisees, and he's like, you guys think you know? He says, uh, let, me, let me find. Uh, verse 21. You, Matthew 5, 21, you ready? Oh, he's already there. Did I already say that? You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, do you get what he's doing here? I mean, he's citing the law, and then he's saying, but I'm telling you this. Now, this has got to have the Pharisees sucking the seats up, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Wait a minute. He's not just citing the law. He is saying new law? What's he doing? Can you imagine what they're doing over there? They're freaking out. He's just making stuff up now. Is he God? Who does he think he is? But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka or fool, is answerable to the court. And, anyone, and he just goes on. I mean, he's just hammering it. He's taking the law from a behavior standard to a heart standard. A standard of, okay, I understand that I can maybe do that to, hey, no way. You've, have you ever been angry with anyone? According to Jesus' standard, you have committed murder. Kopi says he's a mass murderer. You know why? Because he drives to Atlanta every day. Think about, think about it. How much repenting would he have to do when he gets home? Every night. I'm not just trying to be funny. I really am trying to help you understand the gravity of which you have been delivered. If you are going to live according to Jesus' standard of law-keeping, you can never be angry again, ever. And he goes on. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, this is verse 27, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. That's the standard. You sit someone in counseling office. They've got a porn addiction. Well, but I've never cheated on my wife. Well, that's not what Jesus says. Are you getting it? Are we saying that the teachings of Jesus are to be thrown away? No. Jesus is showing, he's presenting a master class on, let me just show you 
the actual level of the law that should be applied to you. And before he ever even goes there, he pronounces the blessing of his kingdom. He does it backwards. He pronounces his kingdom is here. He pronounces that you will be blessed in his kingdom. He says, I'm validating everything God's taught. Then he goes and teaches his standard. It's like backwards, right? How, why does he do that? It's because he presented something that was better than they've ever heard. And they're sitting there thinking, this is too good to be true. This is what I know about God. And then he says, okay, let me address that so I can completely dismantle any self-reliance that you have on your salvation and blessing. I mean, it's just really incredible. It's so obvious that we got to go to church and get really religious to miss it. And I'm telling you, there are people that would hear this message and cry heretic. But it's like, because of the lack of understanding of what Jesus actually accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection. Amen? It's all about Jesus. We're not looking for excuses to live like fools. We're looking for freedom and deliverance and a strength to actually live within a way of life that is pleasing to God. That's what he's offering to you. And you're already blessed. Already blessed. Already pronounced entrance into his kingdom through him. Then he's going to go through and show you just how free you are. I love it. Isn't that, don't you want to follow him? I mean, isn't that, isn't that the guy you want to follow? He's not the guy that when you mess up, he says, oh, it's okay. It's not okay. He not, he's like, look, you're feeling guilty? Let me tell you how guilty you really should feel. You're a murderer. But be comforted because I'm not holding your sin against you. You know, do you see that? He's no, not in any way invalidating anything that God has ever taught. He's reminding you the degree to which you are delivered in him. That's what I want to be reminded of. Because when you know you're free, then you want to steward that freedom. And, 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 I, and, and I see the brilliance of our, and I, I don't want to get political, I just want to address our nationality, right? I see the brilliance in our framers understanding that concept and rolling that into their idea of government it's like, we are free. You know, some people will say, well, they use the word God in there, but they're not talking about Jesus. No other God values freedom. That's how you know it has to be. They're, they were Christians. Well, no, they were theists, and they were whatever. I, my prayer for this country, my prayer for unbelievers is that they receive Christ and engage this freedom. My prayer for you as a believer is that you understand the freedom that you have in Christ and you don't use it as an occasion for the flesh, but that you yield to his grace and live in the righteousness that he's given you so that he's glorified through you. And my prayer for this country is that we understand the freedom that we have and we stop being divisive and we stop corporations from dividing us and we stop 
uh, being racially divided, and we stop all of the junk, and we realize we are free. We need each other. We can encourage each other. The stronger we are together, the stronger this nation will be, and the government will just step back and say they're doing pretty good on their own. We're not needed anymore. Father, we thank you for freedom in every area, and we just declare your freedom. God, we pick up the, the, the mandate to declare the freedom that is in your kingdom. We pick up the call to preach the gospel. God, I yield my heart and my mind to only be influenced by you to communicate the good news through Christ. I want people to see just how sufficient Christ is in every area. Amen. Amen. You know, if you're in here, you've, you've never said yes to him or you're not so sure, right? Or people online, we broadcast online. You want to say yes. You want to walk out of here knowing for sure today. You maybe see Jesus in a different way you never have, and you're saying, yep, today's the day. If that's you, just, just lift up your hand. Wave at me. Let me see you. All right, well, we must all be brothers and sisters in here. But I, I do, I want to challenge you, you know. If you're sitting and waiting for the rapture and doing nothing, you're missing out. A lot of people are doing that. Even if you are waiting for the rapture, get out there, be busy, communicate the gospel. First, do it in your home. Do it in the mirror. Live your life. And I'm not saying you got to throw on a tie and go knock on every door in your neighborhood. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm just saying be willing. Are you willing? Are you willing that day to day as you go about your life, you're willing to let God come out of your mouth and be known to other people because of how you treat your children or how you respond to your spouse or how you answer someone who tells you that you're number one on the road or whatever it is, you know. I mean, honestly, I, I got flipped off this week. I was doing the speed limit on Huddleston and Peachtree City. 30 miles an hour, or that's the dumbest speed limit on the planet. And I look in the mirror, and I'm just doing the speed limit. And this, I'm like, well, there we go. I've, I blew him a kiss. I probably shouldn't have done that, a little smart aleck. But anyway, I thought it was hilarious. I'm like, what, what is wrong with this guy? This boy needs Jesus. Amen? Take Jesus. Let's do that.